3: This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHoD podcast, and I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Friday, February 10th. Hi, everyone. You know what we say about everything in crypto is always moving really fast? Well, after we recorded this episode, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission announced that it had reached a settlement with Kraken, a crypto exchange. As part of that settlement, Kraken agreed to do two things. First, pay a $30 million settlement to the SEC. And two, and even more importantly, to stop offering their U.S. staking service. That's the service that they offered that would allow you to stake your coins with Kraken, or your tokens, and earn returns on those coins. According to the SEC, this was a direct violation of US securities law. We'll have much more on this in the coming episodes. Enjoy! You've heard us say it before, and it's worth repeating. Crypto is a 24 7 asset class, and it can feel really hard to keep up. So we're back with another episode that reviews the biggest stories of the week in crypto. Here's one Which billionaires have stopped fighting? Just as a clue, on the one side you have famous twins Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss and their Gemini exchange, and on the other, Barry Silbert and Genesis. We're also gonna talk about luxury handbags and how they relate to NFTs or non-fungible tokens, what the UK is doing as it relates to its plans to launch a digital currency. And as a bonus, we have a quick aside about the US Super Bowl and how it will be different from last year's, at least when it comes to crypto ads. Joining me this week in the New York studio to break down the latest developments in the world of digital assets is Bloomberg senior editor, Anna Herrera. Anna, so great to have you in the studio. And instead of me being in London and us recording this episode, this time you're in New York. Yes, which is a big change of scenery. (laughs) It is a big change of scenery. Um, but the scenery might change, but somehow the SEC coming after crypto companies seems to be the thing that is consistent. As we were getting ready to step into the studio for this episode, our colleagues in D.C., you know, Alison Verspril, who's been on the show a bunch of times, reported that Kraken is being probed by, you know, the top U.S. financial regulator over whether, and I quote, it broke securities rules related to certain offerings to American clients, which is another way of saying, once again, there are questions over whether exchanges like Kraken and others are offering unregistered securities. And if they are, the SEC is trying to make it clear that, no, you don't get to do that. There are rules, there are regulations that you need to follow. Anna, from the perspective of somebody who covers crypto from like multiple perspectives, multiple countries, multiple geographies, do you feel like we're kind of in a stage where the long-awaited enforcement action is seems to finally be happening? I guess so. But also knowing crypto, there will always be someone who
2: says, but this, it doesn't show that this, <laughs> they're still not saying that it's a security. And if you speak to lawyers, even lawyers with crypto clients now, and obviously they have a sort of like an invested interest in telling you it's a security and you're doing something illegal. But mm-hmm. they are saying the SEC could not be clearer. Gary Ganser could not be clear. They are saying, and they think that everything <laughs> under the sun that you have said as a cryptocurrency is actually most likely a security. And it's most likely unregistered, which means if you're trading, selling it, doing anything with it, that that too will be illegal unless you have a broker-dealer license mm-hmm. or you're registered with the SEC.
3: And to quote our colleague on Bloomberg Opinion, Matt Levine, if you are Gary Gensler talking to the crypto industry, it sounds like everything's a security.
2: And it's not just Gary Gensler, but his predecessor as well was saying that everything was a security and there were there were speeches and there was a case brought against Ripple. So, you know, I think it's maybe wishful thinking or I guess they're hoping it gets sorted in courts mm-hmm. and they're fighting it and they're hoping that they can claim that crypto is not an unregistered security so they can keep doing what they're doing.
3: And to your point there, there's you know two things about this Kraken thing that are important. The first is it's still just a probe. They haven't yet come out and said, we are going to accuse you of X, Y, Z, and we don't know what tokens might be involved here. Like, what are the specific things are that the SEC is trying to classify as securities? But then I think the point that you're making about how so much of this is going to be played out in courts is really key, right? Like, in the absence of specific, definable this is crypto regulation and here's the book you can read to find out everything you can about it. It's been judges and lawyers who are ending up shaping this policy. And, you know, we are going to have one of our other colleagues, Steve Church, who covers bankruptcy here at Bloomberg, on on a future episode to talk about how that dynamic is playing out. But we had yet another example just this week because, as always, a lot of crypto stuff happened this week. But this time in the world of luxury handbags. Now, I'm not necessarily a luxury handbag person. Like <laughs> I feel like you have better bags than me, but what happened with Hermes in this case in crypto? Saying you have better bags than me <laughs> means something completely different. True. Like I have zero crypto bags. You have zero crypto. Be
2: clear. We have. We are not holder of crypto. Crypto bags. Um. So yeah. So basically, there was someone who was minting NFTs taking advantage of the... Yes, uh, the meta Birkin. Yes, exactly. And a judge says, no, no, you can't can't do that. Right.
0: The luxury French designer is suing the maker of the non-fungible tokens over trademark rights. This court case, it's all to do with the fact that these non-fungible tokens get sold of digital Birkins, but without Hermes's say-so. The U.S.
3: Supreme Court... And as it relates to Hermes, they had a really significant victory and the creators of the NFTs were arguing like, no, you know, this is homage this is clearly not the same thing as these others and it's certainly going to have an effect on other similar NFT projects that are sort of playing with existing very large intellectual property.
2: Yeah and I guess what's interesting here is that a lot of the use cases for NFTs have been or like potential use cases pseudo use cases have been in luxury so they were like I guess uh, playing with the wrong crowd because it was <laughs> the luxury people knew and they've been briefed about NFTs. And so you can't like, I think there's a whole point. There there, there are brands that are trying to connect NFTs to your ba- your luxury bag. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, you would have been like getting an NFT for a luxury bag that didn't exist. And mm-hmm. they were clearly banking on on the on
3: the Birkin brand. So it seems like a bit of a no brainer. There's something in law or if you've ever been in trial or on trial or you know, subpoenaed called the discovery process, which is essentially when you are compelled to turn over everything, everything, like all relevant materials. And in a digital age, all relevant materials increasingly includes text messages. And the discovery in this lawsuit revealed some just incredible text messages. I'm going to read just two of them here. Mm. Hermes attorneys pointed to dozens of pages of text messages that they said to show the creators of the MetaBurkins wanting to, quote, create the same exclusivity and demand for the famous handbag. According to the text messages, the creator of the MetaBurkins used the words pump and shill and sought financial backers that he called whales. Another quote is, we're sitting on a gold mine. I don't have a lot of, I'm not a lawyer, I don't have a lot of legal advice, but I think, you know just don't send text messages people <laughs> Like, especially if you're going to get sued by luxury brands that have the ability and the resources to hire lawyers one thing we should note about this is the the settlement in the case wasn't a lot of money it was like it was less than $200,000 like three in her- Birkenbach <laughs> I don't even know how much Birkenbach costs a lot I think um, but in, if you know please feel free to email us crypto Bloomberg.net but you know it's just the important thing here as we're seeing with other cases is like the legal precedent we're going to stay on the topic of money, this case, digital money. And it's the UK which has, as we've talked about a lot on the show, attempted to really position itself as a digital innovator and to capitalize on the reputation for being a, a jurisdiction that has attracted that kind of entrepreneurial talent. People who are interested in financial technology, they seem to be moving forward with getting ready to launch, which I know is like regulator speak for like, maybe we will, we're thinking about it. Here's some white papers. But they seem to at least be coming up with a plan for what folks are starting to call, get this, Britcoin. Yeah, it sounds
2: like it's endorsed by the Spice Girls. (laughs) But it is in fact not. Um, we don't think so. But they, they, that when when you talk about central bank digital currency, as you said, it involves a lot of white papers and research, and it's hard to understand. Like when is it happening? It's mm-hmm. very hard to say. They have said that if they they do do something, it will be in the second half of this decade. Decade. Mm-hmm. So imagine that being the time frame from like for like a consumer brand saying we're doing this in like. This decade, So one of the big sticking points with central bank digital currencies is, will it be like cash? Like, will it like replace commercial bank money? Will like banks be cut out? And so there's a lot of lobbying behind the scenes to make sure banks don't disappear. And I think they've sort of assuaged concerns and said, you know, it'll be beside cash and it won't like hurt banks and it'll be a great opportunity. One thing with like CBDCs is that people, they're trying to be a little bit of everything so that they don't upset anyone. And so the question is, will anyone want them? Right. Especially if you're like developing now something that we want we're gonna use like in five or six years, maybe. So it, it's quite interesting. So so if it's not gonna replace cash, then what what's is it, it gonna? What's it for? Can I just not use, you know, like whatever we have now? And in the UK, unlike sort of the US, digital payments work really well. Mm-hmm. They're really fast. They're cheap, and you just like that's what, in Europe in general, right? So, like, the idea of, like, why would we need a CBDC that's, like, a consumer CBDC, like, it's it's just, that's something that still needs to be, I think, answered.
3: Well, I think playing into the confusion is when most folks think about digital cash, they think maybe in, like, the U.S. context of Zelle or Venmo or PayPal or, you know, like what are some of the, the e-banks in the U.K. that allow you to do mobile-based instantaneous payments. I mean, it's like basically all of them. The banks, <laughs> right? like your literal bank. Yeah, exactly. You just do it and it, it Whereas goes. here in the US, if my landlady's like, you need to pay your rent by ACH transfer, I'm like, ha ha, ha, ha. Yeah, my landlord here <laughs> wanted a check. Wanted, they He wanted a check three years ago, so not so long. So, you know, we're at very different stages as development is the point that you're making, but those apps are not actually digital cash because what they're doing is they're allowing you to move around you know, bits and bytes that represent your claims to the banks that you have accounts in. But digital cash in the form of a central bank digital currency would actually be like a claim on the central bank, right? It would be the equivalent to holding a dollar note or a pound sterling or one Japanese yen, which is a really different paradigm entirely.
2: Yes. So it would he actually be a claim you have with the central bank money. So it would be the equivalent of cash. But then the problem is, with cash it's like totally like anonymous right Mm -hmm. so do you actually want to create a digital form of payment that is totally anonymous essentially it's central banks launching a great big consumer like a big fintech consumer product which is like very interesting intellectually and they're doing it in a horizon that's like very far very far away and the last big consumer product they launched was cash which worked Pretty well. For but it's, hundreds of years. Yeah, but like they haven't done any great product <laughs> development since. Like who's the product manager at the I ECB, mean, right? It's
3: hard to improve on coins and notes, you know? It's 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 challenging. But I'm I actually think we should find out who the product manager is at the ECB. We'll follow up on that. And if you are the product manager at the ECB and you listen to this podcast, we'd love to have you on the show. Crypto at Bloomberg.net. We'll be right back with more of the week's top crypto stories with Bloomberg senior editor Anna Herrera. Anna, how much do you care about the NFL?
2: <laughs> not very much. I used to watch the Super Bowl, but like the ads, and then I'd be like confused.
3: Okay, like so that's like you minutes. and the vast majority of people, um, especially people who are not in the US. And last year, basically for my job, I had to watch the Super Bowl for the ads because as we call it, as various people called it, it was the Super Bowl of crypto. You know, you had pick a celebrity and they were telling you how great Bitcoin was. And now... Fast forward, it's a year later. I don't think there are going to be many celebrities at this Super Bowl shilling crypto. It's a very different kind of environment. One of the things that we've talked about is the fact that crypto companies tried to use marketing and advertising to get their products in front of, you know, the average consumer.
1: The big story this morning, Staples Center getting a name change. Yeah, it is soon going to be known as Crypto.com Arena.
0: Crypto.com paying some $700 million over 20 years for the
3: deal in what is believed to be the richest naming rights deal. It's in- why FTX had the naming rights to the Miami Heat Arena. In the absence of these big event-driven things, is there still scope for crypto companies to be trying to do this kind of marketing and advertising like with the down market with regulatory scrutiny like what's the vibe right now so they
2: don't have any money which doesn't help if you're trying to buy a super bowl ad um so that that's probably like a, a big issue at the beginning i'm also hearing that some are actually thinking about the potential reputational damage now mm-hmm. that you might have from having like a crypto Advertisement. You know, like if you had an FTX ad now, it's not looking great for mm-hmm.
1: you. Now, what's been known as the FTX arena in downtown Miami is no more. A judge just terminated the naming rights agreement with Miami-Dade County after the crypto companies. How's Tom, Tom Brady doing?
2: Yeah, well, he's retired. Is he, already, is he retiring? I'm he's
3: re-re-retired sure.
2: re, re and he's All going right. to be some kind of sports
3: commentator. Dude. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's. Doing fine, I think, right? Like, m- definitely better than the people that lost their money on FTX, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, so th- th- they have less money to spend on ads. Um, there's more scrutiny. And then also we've had cases in which the teams themselves have, like, upped their due diligence because they were left with no money. So if you sign a sponsor and they, you put it on your team's sh- shirt, mm-hmm. jersey, and then they disappear, then that's a big, big problem. So it's another interesting thing that we're,
3: we're looking at is seeing, like, how sports sponsorships evolve. Now, as you correctly identified, crypto companies across the board generally have less money than this time last year. There's always going to be exceptions, but given market conditions, things have been pretty tough. And there are, you know, a couple of, well, three billionaires actually that we've been covering quite a lot who, to be clear, are still billionaires. So they personally still have a lot of money. Two of them are... Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, the you know co-founders of the Gemini Crypto Exchange, and they have been involved in a relatively long-running, by crypto standards, public dispute with Barry Silbert of DCG, Digital Currency Group, and Digital Currency Group owns an entity called Genesis, and Genesis is one of the folks that had to file for bankruptcy in recent weeks. So they've been fighting, and one of the things that happened this week, at least if you are a creditor to either of these companies, is they seem to have come to some sort of agreement? Yes, they have come to a settlement.
2: The big sticking point was that Gemini was getting money from their own clients who deposited money with Gemini, and then the money was going to Genesis who then not lend them out to someone else. Genesis lent to people it shouldn't have lent to, or like... Like three hours <laughs> capital. Exactly, and lost the money. And so if you were a user of Gemini, normal people, you will have lost your money. And so that was the issue. Gemini wanted the money back. So they've now come to an agreement. So like there was a lot of squabbling on Twitter and it seemed that that has been resolved. Of course, you know, again, it's yet another instance in which a crypto company has gone bankrupt. And as we know, in bankruptcy, a lot of people end up not seeing their money or if they Mm -hmm. do, they see it many years after and they don't see all of it. So at least it's been semi-resolved and like there's less fighting.
3: So just as a closing note, as we look forward into the next few weeks and months, I think a buzzy word everywhere is artificial intelligence. And I'm just going to kind of throw out a question, which is channel chat GPT. <laughs> like war game out what you think a likely headline is that we're going to have to talk about on the show that has to do with AI and crypto.
2: <laughs> Someone's going to do like an AI code or is going to like throw AI into their exchange and say that the actually matching engine is optimized for liquidity by using artificial intelligence. So you're like sending an order and it's getting matched in the most perfect way or waiting for the order to find a match because it's using our I- AI. And then when we ask, but what liquidity? Who's actually wanting to buy stuff? We will never get an answer.
3: But they will raise a hundred million dollars.
2: Gazillion. Got it.
3: Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you as always and have a safe flight back. Thank you. That was Bloomberg Senior Editor, Anna Herrera. You can find more of Anna's reporting in the Bloomberg Terminal on Bloomberg.com and in our twice-weekly Bloomberg Crypto Newsletter. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Andam. Desta Wanderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel. Have a great weekend.